Turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. We will continue in the book of Judges here. I'd like to move into a very familiar story, very exciting story. And um, I want to look at some of the truths that we can glean from this uh, character and story in the Bible that we can apply to our lives today. Gideon. Title of the message is Gideon from Weakness to Strength. From weakness to strength. You know, we're looking at the book of Judges. We have come to the fifth cycle here now. Of Gideon's the fifth judge and the fifth cycle, the cycle that we were talking about, going from the, the disobedience, the apostasy, to the God sending oppressors and the punishment, and then they're crying out to the Lord and deliverance. And this is a, another example of that happening. And in Judges chapter 6, we see Gideon as the fifth judge, uh, an exciting story. And uh, we look at Gideon, we see a mix here of, I mean, he's got a lot of doubt, he's got fears, he's uh, afraid, and then we see him ending up with just a man of faith. And uh, the key verse there that I put up there, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And we will see him as exactly that. So, and that's exciting to, to know that God uses uh, just ordinary people. Gideon was not a super saint. He was uh, a farmer. He was doing his daily work when the Lord called him. And that's a, uh, good to know that today God is not looking for super saints. He's looking for people that he can work in and move to a greater depth of faith. And that's what's going to come out in Gideon. So when we compare Gideon with Samson, likely our next story that we'll look at, but it's way different. You know, Gideon I have titled From Weakness to Strength. And unless I change the title for Samson, will be the opposite, From Strength to Weakness. But uh, we saw Deborah as a woman of strength, and Gideon goes from weakness to strength, and Samson uh, the opposite, from strength to weakness. To weakness. So Gideon was, uh, like in his mind, he was too weak to do anything for the Lord. Samson, the opposite, he thought he's pretty strong. He can do anything. And neither of those uh, are any really, really good. Neither, neither of those ways have... I mean, they, they both have their downsides. When you think about Gideon, was, uh, didn't feel like he could do anything. He had an underestimation of himself, and that's not good. And Samson would have a, an overestimation of himself, and that's not good. It's better to have no estimation of ourselves, but to just rely on God and confidence in him. So Gideon, he started out scared. He's weak and scared, uh, but he ended strong. And let's just... Get this at the beginning here. This is Hebrews calling him out as a hero of faith. And time would fail to tell me of Gideon and Barak and Samson. So God calls him out. So we want to think about how God moved him from the place of being, in his mind, weak and, and not able to do much to the great man of valor that he became. So, And that happened when he was convinced that the Lord was with him. And we're going to see that uh, coming through. So his faith grew and things happened, you know, in spite of the, the uh, overwhelming odds that he had against him. 
So we see here in chapter 6, in verse, uh, verses 1 to 7, I don't think I'm going to read those verses. We have the account here in two chapters, so we have a lot of scripture. And I'm going to plan to cover the entire two chapters here. And I won't be reading all the verses, but I'll try to be uh, telling the story. And we want to draw out the, uh, like every aspect of Gideon and the Lord working in his life and how he came to where he was. So in verse 1, we see again that Gideon, they did, children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And God's disciplining hand was upon them. And how they had seven years of, um, uh, they were depressed by the Midianites. Seven years, they bothered them, they terrorized them, they oppressed them. And it says that there was three groups of people that were oppressing them. There was the Midianites, the Almachites, and the people of the east. So, and these people were nomadic people. They set up tents, and when the grass got uh, all, they would move on. So they would just move around. So they come in, children of Israel, uh, they came in and they just raided their crops. They and not only raided it, but they destroyed what they didn't eat. And uh, so their wheat and their, their uh, grapes and figs and whatever. Uh, and they timed it just right. We see in verse uh, 3, they timed things just right when they, uh, they let the children of Israel sow the seed and take care of it. And then when harvest time came, that's when they'd come in and, and raid these crops. And it happened, crops would ripen at different times, so they were all summer long. They were just, that gives us a picture of the oppression that they were under. I think it says there they left no substance. They just destroyed everything. And also in, in verse 4, they destroyed, they, took, they stole their livestock, took, took advantage. They, so they were impoverished. I mean, they were starving. And it, went, it was that bad that they would go up and hide in mountains and caves, and, and they had to do their daily work in hideout. So and this went on for seven years till they cried out to the Lord. You know, they, they, they cried out to the Lord for help. And we know God responds. He did, and he will again. But before he responds this time, it's interesting, in verse 8, in 8 to 10, we see God is answering, uh, he's, he sends a prophet to them. So he wants them to, I believe, understand why this oppression is here. You know, the prophet reminds them uh, in verse 9 and 10 about Egypt and how they were oppressed in Egypt and their deliverance out of Egypt. And in verse 10 it says, I am your God, and, uh, and, and, and encourages them to stay away from the other gods. This is the, an unnamed prophet here that shows up. And then in verse 10, the end of the chapter, there, at the end of the verse, it gives the, the real meaning because of their disobedience, because they didn't obey what God told them to do. So here, there's different reasons that we can be in difficult times and in, in, in dire straits. And one of them is, you know, if, 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 uh, if Satan has an attack, like Job. Job came and Satan attacked him. And, but here we see it was because of their disobedience. They didn't follow the, what God told them to do. They forsook the commandments. And that's how they got in this dire straits. And that happens today when the oppression, you know, sin and oppression go together. Sin and oppression and the crying out and the deliverance. That's a cycle in Judges and, it's, and it can happen today. And God is ready to hear the same way today as he did back then. So the prophet is telling them why the oppression before the deliverance. And he talks about the sin. 
Then in, verse, uh, in verses, verses 11 to 16, we have the call of Gideon. So the Lord, and I think I'm going to read verses 11 to 16. Judges chapter 6 and verse 11 says, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under the oak which was in Orpha and that pertained to Joash, the Abrazite, the son of Gideon, threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if, if the Lord be with us, why then is this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Because my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto them, If I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou mayest talk us, that thou talkest with me. And I think I'll just let off there. But here is the God is calling Gideon, and he finds him in a strange place. And the picture should hopefully give us a, a little bit of a that it, it's in a wine press. You see the, the, the wall in the back? They would, the, the wine press would be where you press out wine, not the grapes. They would put the grapes and they press them out on the floor. But here, you don't beat wheat. You don't thresh wheat on the, in, the, in a wine press. You do that up, in the, up on the uh, hilltop or an open air when you throw the, the wheat up in the air and they beat it and then the chaff would blow away and the, the wheat would fall down. But he's in here, he's trying to, you know, this just gives us a picture of how bad things are. He's trying to, he's trying to save a little wheat for himself, a little grain for himself. So the Midianites didn't get it. So they didn't come in and, and, and steal it. And this is where the angel of the Lord meets him. And one of the things that we can learn is uh, if we go through the Bible, we will see that most times when God calls someone, they're busy doing something. They're busy doing something. Uh, we need to be busy. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him. And I believe that he appeared like a man because later on he will find that Gideon only perceives that he was an angel. So this angel is talking to him in verse 12. It says, O, o valiant warrior, you know, O mighty man. And you could say, well, ha hardly. I mean, he's, in a, he's, he's hiding. He's afraid and scared. He's hiding from the Midianites, and uh, he's in a wine press instead of out on the top of the hill. And the angel says, you know, oh, thou, you're a mighty man of valor. And, uh, and he says, the Lord is with you. And Gideon in verse 13 says, you know, like, uh, really? You know, I, I, if, the Lord is with, if the Lord is with us, why is all this happening? Why is this ha Why don't we see miracles? Uh, like we read about and you know they would have had the the books of Moses they would have heard about it read about it so he asked this question you know not knowing that the miracle that's just about going to happen later that God was going to use him to do so then he's, he's saying you know like where where is God now I don't see the evidence of God with us now we're slaves and we're starving 
But, you know, it was actually, they, you know, he was saying, like, the Lord is forsaking them. But actually, they had forsook the Lord. They turned on them and went after the other gods. But the angel says, thou mighty man of valor, you know, surely I will be with you. And it's interesting that the, the angel is encouraging him in his potential. And I wonder if God doesn't want that of, of maybe he does that for us, encourages us in our potential, what we can do. And I wonder if we shouldn't be encouraging one another in our potential. I remember in Cherry Creek one time, I had a, like a 10, 11 year old boy, I went up to him one time and I said, you know, you know, uh, God might use you to be the next preacher in Cherry Creek. And he'd look at me and say, really? Really? You know, nah. but can we encourage one another in our potential? You know, like, I believe you could be a good Sunday school teacher. Do you ever think about leading singing? So on. But I think there's a lesson here on encouraging one another in our potential. Then in verse 14, it says, Go in this thy might, have I not sent you? You know, if God has sent you, that's the most important thing. That's the most important thing. If God's going to send us, he's certainly going to equip us. He's going to give us what we need, supply our needs. He says, if I am with you, it doesn't matter how big this pagan nation is. It doesn't matter how much is against you. If I am sending you, if God is with us, uh, there is nothing that is going to be too big. If the Lord be with us, who can be against us? So then he goes on in verse 15, talks about, you know, how he's the, the least of his brethren. He's the youngest in the family, and he's from the tribe of Manasseh, known to be maybe the weaker tribe. Ephraim was a strong one. And, uh, and, he's, and he's in a poor family. He just gives his excuses. And sometimes God does have a hard time calling individuals to the task they want. You know, you think of Moses. He said, who am I? I can't talk. And Jeremiah said, I'm just a child and so on. But God, God um, he, he was telling God, you know, I'm not the one for the job. But God was putting his finger on Gideon. I, I have a job for you to do. And verse 16, he says, surely I will be with you. And that is just, again, all you need. You see, it's not about Gideon. It's about what, who's with Gideon, what he'll do through Gideon. So, and then it says he'll smite, in 16, the end of the verse there, it says I'll, he'll smite the Midianites as, with, as one man. That probably didn't sink in yet what this all meant. And he certainly felt weak. And unworthy, but that's often who God calls, you know. We, um, that way he can get the glory. You know, we think about this, one thing that stands true in this story is that, I mean, Gideon, it was nothing he did. It was about all what God did. So, and if we, are, if we feel this way, you know, you know we'll, we'll depend on his strength and we'll realize how weak we are. But if we go on our own strength is the opposite. You know, that's when it gets us in trouble. So the, the thing here that we can see is that God uses ordinary people. You know, uh, Gideon was an ordinary man. He wasn't a super saint. And God uses simple people, I believe, to keep the message simple. And then in verse 17, we see he asks for a sign. Now, this is, uh, I don't think I'll read these verses from 17 to 24. He's saying, you know, if you're the, if you're, if, if, if God is, if you're saying God is, is with me, you know, just show me this sign. He says he's going to get a, a sacrifice ready. 
and uh, he's to wait around. And he says, if I need to know that this is from the Lord. You know, Gideon wants to know, stay here till I bring this sacrifice. And the angel did. The angel hung around, and he prepared a kid, it says, and some unleavened bread. And, they, you know, and think about it. This was a sacrifice. This, they were at the point of starvation. They were, they, they, everything was stolen from them. And he gets this kid, and he gets this, uh, this unleavened bread. And he brings this sacrifice to the altar, to this, uh, and there uh, the, the angel touches this with his staff, and fire came out of the rock and consumed it. You know, he asked for a sign, he got one. I mean, that would have been, you know, in the, in the Bible, when, the, when fire uh, consumed something like that, that was like a sign of God's approval. And with, with Elijah and the, the, the Mount Carmel there, that God fire fell from heaven. That was God's approval. And so in the temple dedication. So this was a sign of God's acceptance. And that really, so be, you know, this was a sign for Gideon. And, and be, Gideon begins with, his, with a sacrifice. He's sacrificing. And then it says in verse 20, 21, 22, the angel disappeared just like that. And that's when he perceived it was an angel. That's why I believe it looked like a man, but he perceived it was an angel. And there he built an altar, and he called it Jehovah Shalom, or peace. So there was the beginnings of the call of Gideon and his sacrifice. And now in verse 25, we see the, uh, God tells him to do something else. God tells him to build an altar to Jehovah and actually to tear down his dad's idol in the backyard. Dad, Joash, had an idol to Baal in the backyard. It had to go. And just shows the degree of their doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Let's read verse 25. It says, In the same night, this, and it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God unto the top of this rock in the ordered place. Take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said, and it was so, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that they could do it, that they could not do it by day, but they did it by night. And when the men of the city arose in the morning, and behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that it was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built, they said one to another, who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will you plead for Baal? And will he save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while, yet it, while it is yet morning. If he be God, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Therefore in that day he called him Jeroboam, because, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he hath torn down his altar. 
So here we can see that uh, God called Gideon to a pretty big task early on here. Tear down dad's idol. Tear down, and he had a grove there. Cut all the trees down and uh, build a new altar and, and, uh, and, and sacrifice this seven-year-old bull on this altar. Now, it's interesting that he mentions a seven-year-old bull and how long were they in, in a, a bondage? They were in bondage seven years. So he goes out by night. He took ten, night, ten men, and uh, now this shows that he was maybe a little scared. He, would, he went out by night, didn't go out by day. And, um, and he did exactly what God told him. Tore down the altar, cut down the groves, used that wood, built a fire, killed the seven-year-old bull, and sacrificed it all during the night. Next morning, the men of the city got up and said, what's going on? Who did it? First thing, who did it? And they probably, I don't know how it got around. Well, Gideon. Gideon did it. And uh, they said, you know, let's let, he, the, the, get him out. Bring him out of the house. He's got to die. And there's, you know, let's, one of the things that we see here is there's a price to pay for obedience, Right? He was just simply doing what God said, and they were ready to kill him because they tore down the altar to, uh, to, uh, to Baal. And then his father comes out, and he gives him a good answer. I think he had a wise answer here for, um, for the, the men of the city. And he says, you know, hey, if, if uh, he says, will you plead for Baal? You know, or which God are we serving anyway? You know, if, if Baal is really God, let him deal with my son, is what he's saying. If Baal's really a God, if he's going to really be what you're claiming him to be, let him deal with my son. And, uh, you know, it's like, way to go, Joash. You know, he goes from, wait, he goes from uh, having an altar and a grove, waking up the next morning and standing up for Jehovah God, all because of Gideon. Gideon's obedience you know praise the Lord for Gideon here you know he made the first move and dad followed uh, you know the boldness of Gideon encouraged his dad to take the stand that he did you know we think of parents having uh, influence on children well here we see the opposite the children had the influence on, on, the, on dad and then we see his name changed to Jer Jeroboam or, uh, and that means let Baal plead and we'll see his name, that name interchangeably for Gideon as the story goes on. Now, the, uh, Gideon prepares for battle. So the enemies in verse 33, it says, uh, it says the, uh, that all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jeriel. But it says, that, but the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Ebenezer was gathered after him. And then in verse 35, he sends, he sends messengers all throughout Manasseh, and also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher, and Zebulon, and Nathali, and they came, and they came up to meet them. And Gideon said unto God, if thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said, and then goes into the... Uh, asking for another sign. But here we see he's preparing for battle. He's preparing for battle. And verse 33, the enemies were gathering together. 
But in verse 34 here it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And we can't miss that phrase, that verse. The spirit of the Lord, and that literally means clothed himself with God. Beautiful definition of being filled with the spirit. Being filled with the spirit after the altar came down, the right altar built, sacrifice done, he was filled with the spirit. And he was ready to do battle, ready to. And verse 34, he blows the trumpet. Now he's not afraid to openly let everybody know where he stands. You know, before he tore the altar down by night, you know, he's, little, he's, he's going from scared. We see him changing. He, he, he tore the altar down by night. Now everybody knows where Gideon stands. He's blowing the trumpet. And, and he's getting ready for battle. And there's a verse in Isaiah that says, Cry loud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. Let my people know what their sins are. Blowing the trumpet is proclaiming the truth of God's word. Blowing the trumpet. So he goes from uh, being scared into blowing the trumpet, and we're going to see what happens after the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. He gets bolder. He gets bolder. So we saw he sent messengers out and uh, to, to the other tribes, and he's calling for all the fighting men to come together. He's calling all the fighting men, and he gets a total of 32,000, and they're ready to go to battle. And the enemy is, is swarming in, and, uh, and it says there in verse 33, they're, 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 they're pitched in the valley. So the battle's, you know, Set the battle's coming to a head. And uh, he, they're ready for battle, and he has 32 soldiers, and it's believed that the enemy has 150,000 plus. And if you look at the, uh, you know, that's not a good, that's not a good, um, you know, in the world's idea, idea, that's not a good odds. The odds are 32,000 to 150,000. It could be more. This, this uh, description of the enemy battle is, is like the, the like grasshoppers and like the sand of the sea. So this could have been a lot. If this was a huge army and Gideon's call brought in 32,000. And he might still be a little bit, you know, shaky in the knees here. What's going to happen? And he asks for a sign. And in verse 36... He asked for, and Gideon said unto the Lord, If thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the, on the floor, and if dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by thy hand, as thou hast said. And it was so, and it was so, and he rose up early in the morning and thrust the fleece together and wringed out the dew of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And there you can see the bowl full of water came out of the fleece. And then Gideon said, you know, maybe he was still a little uh, unsure. Or maybe the devil was still creating a little doubt in him. And uh, the next morning he, uh, he, or he, he asks again. And he says, uh, and, and Gideon said unto God, let, in verse 39, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak this but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, that this once with the fleece that it be dry only upon the fleece and upon all the ground let there be dew and it says in verse 40 and God did so that night for it was dry on the fleece only and there was dew on the ground 
So God did that. God, you know, Gideon asked for a sign, and God did the sign for him. And the next morning, he did it in the opposite: do only on the um, on the ground and not on the the uh, the fleece. So I was wondering, as we think about this, you know, this as we is it is it okay to ask for a sign today? You know, do you ever? This is where this throwing out the fleece comes from. This, uh, you know, I think. Um, and maybe this would be a good Sunday school discussion, but I think that we have to be careful in asking for signs. Uh, you know, Gideon just needed to know that God was with him. I believe he was, you know, it, this wasn't about Gideon discerning God's will. You know, he just wanted to know that God was, was with him. God told him what to do. You know, this was not a sign to discern his will, but rather it was for Gideon's reassurance he just wanted to know without a shadow of doubt that God was in this that it wasn't and um, he was told what to do you know God gave him instructions to go fight the Midianites so the, it wasn't a matter of discerning God's will so much determining God's will but it, it was a rather uh, the confirmation that God is with him you know the angel said surely the uh, surely I will be with you and he just he just you know, had to know, and God graciously gave him the sign. So I think we have to be careful with our sign, asking for a sign. You know, it's, it's easier to be courageous if we know what we're doing, that we're in God's will, that God, we're doing what God wants us to do. And, and there's a verse in Psalms 23, that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And there's just lots and lots of verses in the Bible, Old Testament and prior to this time, like in the books of Moses, thou art with me. The Lord is with us. You know, we have the, um, uh, the Great Commission, you know, teach, the, go, go ye to all the nations and then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you and Lo, I am with you always. Not Gideon wouldn't have had this promise, but we have this promise today. We have this promise today. Uh, the uh, to laying laying out a fleece. I think we have to be careful. There's another verse that talks about the uh, the a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh a sign. So laying out a fleece to discern God's will, you know, it's, it's, I'm not sure. Maybe I would like to know what other, it would be interesting to discuss this in a Sunday school. I'm giving you my conclusion here. But another thing we have is the Holy Spirit is guiding us in the New Testament. You know, the Holy Spirit is our guide, is our guide. So one of the, func the functions, he will guide us. And the Word of God, we have the Word of God. That, uh, you know, God will give, gives direction in the Word of God. So I think there's, uh, you know, for Gideon, it was a, a supernatural sign. You know, a lot of times when we ask for a sign, you know, it's a natural sign. You know, like, um, will we get a call back by the end of the week at 5 o'clock? Well, what if the call comes right after 5 o'clock? You know, so I think we have to be careful. Now, Gideon was asked to do quite a... a, a could you say a ridiculous thing as we get to it in the world's eyes? And he just wanted to be convinced without a shadow of a doubt that God was with him. This had more to do with his doubt than his direction. So as we think about this, and there's other men in the Bible 
that had um, uh, doubt as well. <clears throat> They're thinking of Abraham and Moses and different ones that God works with. When we have our doubts, God can take us from doubt to faith. And that's what we see happening here. So <clears throat> let's move on. <clears throat> in verse 7, in chapter 7, we see here now it's uh, Gideon was, uh, he's pitched in here by the well of, of Harad. And uh, this, and he has 32,000 men, 32,000 soldiers against this 150,000. And verse 2, he's saying that it's too many. God's saying to him, these too many. See, now, God, it was like God was, I mean, Gideon was like testing God with his asking for signs. Now God is turning around and testing him. He's saying, you have too many people. You have too many people. And, uh, and he's saying, like, you know, what do you mean? 32,000 to 150,000. Well, we have a verse here in... in uh, Deuteronomy that says this is Deuteronomy chapter 20 says when thou goest to battle against thine enemies and seen horses and chariots and a people more than thou be not afraid of them for the Lord thy God is with thee and here is a verse that's telling them when you see about an army that's much bigger than you you know don't be afraid this is a test on fear and it's, don't be afraid because why because I will be with you you know, don't worry about how mighty this Midianite army is, is, is looks here. See, who's doing the battle? Is it Lord or is it Gideon? And we're going to find out. See, the devil wants to intimidate us. He wants to intimidate us. But you know, we, we ha if the Lord is on our side, who can be against us? You know, just like Goliath's size, we looked intimidating. They were all scared of him. David walks up and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He had faith. He had faith. We can walk up like David did. Now Gideon's faith is getting stronger. He's going from weakness to strength. And uh, now, and, and, and there's another verse here that tells us in, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, and a little later it says, And the officers shall speak further unto the people, and shall say, What man is there that is fearful and fainthearted? Let him go home and return to his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. So there was the test of fear. You know, fear is contagious. It says, you know, it says there that if the, unless their brother's heart will get, uh, will get, unless panic will set in. So fear, fear is contagious, and he dismissed all those that were fearful. Biblical principle here. And it says that, that, uh, that 20, uh, the 22,000 left, and now he's down to 10,000. Still too many. Still too many. Uh, they had 10,000 now, so the fear was all eliminated. Now there's a test of alertness, a test of alertness. And uh, this is a, what we think of Gideon and the, the uh, you know, the, he tells, God tells him to take the army down to the water and have them drink. And he says, those that take their hands and they cup water and drink like this, you set them that side. And those that get down on all fours and just suck the water up, set those on that side. And there was only 300 that took their hands and drink water like this. And I was wondering, you know, if you and I would be there, how would we drink? I don't know. But Gideon was watching, and he set nice down to 300 men. 300 men. This was a test of alertness. You see, those that drank out of the hand, they were observant. They were alert. They were uh, vigilant. They wouldn't get caught off guard. 
They were watching the surroundings, what's going on, whereas opposed to the others, bowed down and they were unalert. And verse seven, chapter 7 and verse 7 says, By these 300, I will save you and deliver you. Deliver the Midianites into thy hand. This is 1% of the original 32,000. You know, the world standard, you would think, you know, that's going 300 to this, 100, this huge army would have been a suicide mission, right? But numbers aren't everything. Numbers aren't everything. You know, numbers is not the victory. We're going to see that. Faith is the victory. You know, that we sing the song, faith is the victory. Today, there's a lot of pressure to be successful, and it comes out in numbers. We want to be have so many church members and so many converts and, and you know, but this, this picture tells us that it, that, is not, that is not what God is looking for. God is looking for uh, the quality, you know, little as much when God is in it. You see, there was no way that, that Gideon would be doing the fighting now, right? It's, it's, you know, God whittled it down so he would get the glory. So he would get the glory. Lest Israel vaunt themselves and say, my own hand has saved them. So 300 against 150,000, the odds were stacked so much against them. There's no way they could say, we want it. But God prefers just a handful of commit, committed ones. They were committed. You know, they had to have faith to, to join Gideon and 300 stand around with flashlights and like uh, around there, the way they did it was just, Phenomenal. Uh, but verse 10, we see another, one other little interesting story here in, in chapter 7, verse 10. You know, God, God, God will do what we need. He knows what we need and what we, and he said to Gideon, hey, you know, if you're still scared, go down to the camp and uh, take your, take your uh, pur along and, and listen to what they say. So here we have them. Uh, you know, God knew Gideon was still a little, a little fearful, and he takes uh, only having 300 men, rightly so, and they sneak up to the camp, the enemy's camp, by night, and the eavesdrop. And one of them was telling a dream. And this dream was a barley loaf tumbled down into the camp of Midian and laid the tent over. And these, I mean, these tents would have been secured. You remember the story with Jael taking a tent peg? through Sisera's head and into the ground. I mean, that tent peg is... So, and laid the tent over. And, and it was a barley loaf. A barley loaf was the, the food of the poor. Uh, and Gideon was poor. And then this other guy was there and uh, interpreted this dream. And he says, this is none other than Gideon. This is Gideon. You know, they, they probably were laughing. Gideon's army would have been laughing stock, right, compared to the vast number. And they would have been thinking, you know, this is an easy-peasy one. But this was, that one, the one interpreted, this is nothing but the hand of Gideon. Now, here was a prophetic dream from a pagan, and it was benefiting Gideon. Gideon benefited from this dream. God controls dreams. God gives dreams for the evidence and the encouragement of his people. We can see that through scripture. But God gave another sign, and he didn't ask for it here. And then it says in verse 15 that he worshiped. He worshiped. 
while he was, I, I don't know, I, it appears like he was while he was still in enemy territory. And then he went to battle. He worshiped first. We must be a good worshiper to be a good warrior. He thanked God for the encouragement. He went back to camp and he says to his 300 men, arise. They're ready to go. They worship and he's ready to go. God knew that he had to inspire Gideon if Gideon was going to inspire the others. You know, fear was contagious. Faith is contagious as well. Gideon was pumped and he was ready to go. He, and and he, he got his 300 men. They stood around that camp. And he says in verse 16, he divided them in, in three groups. Uh, and he says, all he said is simple instructions. Watch me and do likewise. Watch me. Now, every man had a carrying a torch and an empty pitcher in one hand and a trumpet in the other hand. Now, I don't know if they had swords beside them, but they didn't use them here, not here anyway. And uh, they had to be careful probably when they walked in there the, uh, to, the, to the surround them. I mean, they would have had to make sure that the light didn't go out and that the, and that the light didn't shine. And so they went back, went around, they surrounded the camp, and he, and, and simple instructions, do as I do. When I blow, when I, when I blow, you blow. When I, you know, bust the picture, they, but they break the pictures, and they held their lights up, and they blew the trumpet, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And in verse 22, it says, then the Lord set every man against his fellow. And, and, the, and the other thing they did, they did it at the change of the guards. In verse 19, it says, in the watch, change of the watch. So likely, it would have been right after the watch. So the ones that were just new on duty, the old ones were probably just still walking back. Would have been more people around, possibly. And, uh, and I don't know, did they think that one set of guards was turning on the other? Or what made them? Uh, it says the Lord set them against each other. And chaos, and they were just killing each other. And the Lord did the battle. The Lord did the battle. Can you imagine what it would be like to having the 300 pitchers breaking at the same time? That probably was a pretty loud crack. And then writing simultaneously, you'd have this big bright light surrounding the camp. Uh, you know, would have shown, I remember out in Cherry Creek one time when the Bible school team was there and we went, uh, every year they would walk up to the top of Holy Hill and we'd sing up there. And when we come back down, it was dark. It was, it was dark, and so they have this trail coming down, and we all would take flashlights. We all take flashlights, and we're coming down the hill. I'm not sure how many flashlights would have been walking down the hill, but somebody called the cops. They thought it was, they thought it was uh, Bigfoot, the, the monster. They, so, but I, I don't know what this looked like to have all these lights surrounded them. So they, the loud explosion, the bright lights, and the trumpets blowing, and the sword of the Lord and Gideon. You know, trumpets in the Bible uh, represent warning. You know, cry loud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, show thy people my transgressions and the house of the Jacob their sins. They were also used to communicate. You know, they could make distinctive sounds, you know, different sounds. You know, they would, uh, different sounds would mean different things. You know, and an army would have like a, uh, a set of signals. Uh, they would know what a, a sound, uh, two blows would mean or whatever. 
and they knew what it meant. They knew that's how they communicated. It's how they communicated. They didn't have cell phones and earpieces and whatever. And it's interesting how Paul gives the, pulls this idea out as an illustration when he's teaching on tongues. And he says, for if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare for battle? So this, these trumpets had, they, they uh, communicated. And so if you have an uncertain sound, it brings confusion. The soldiers won't know what to do. And so when he blew the trumpet, it had, it had meaning. And he says, you know, when I blow, you blow. Also, the breaking of the vessels and letting the light shine. We see have a, a, a verse in the New Testament here that Paul was probably thinking of Gideon when he wrote this. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of God may be of God and not in us. And it, verse prior talks about the light shining out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the earthen vessels of ours must be broke in order for the light to shine. You know, uh, the light inside uh, was not seen until that vessel was broke. And we as earthen vessels need to be broken. We need to be dead to self. We need to deny ourselves in order for the light of Christ to shine. And then we can proclaim. So we have, when we're, when we're broken in that way, and when we, then we can blow the trumpet and proclaim the truths of God's word. Now in verse 24, yeah, we, just, we see that Gideon, so the, the Lord took care of the army. The Lord took care of it. But they tried to escape. And in verse 24, Gideon sent out messengers to Ephraim to cut off the places that they could cross the Jordan. So Ephraim got called into battle there, and uh, so maybe some of them did use the sword. They did kill two of their princes, Orbit and Zeb, but it, and Israel was delivered. Israel was delivered, and Gideon is a type of Christ, the deliverer. All the judges are types of Christ. So, so we have an outstanding example of trust. I just marvel when I look at this. You know, could I trust God like that without those kinds of odds against me? You know, Gideon went from weakness to strength. He ended up very strong, mighty man of valor. With a, just like the angel said, he became that by trusting and obeying, by trusting and obeying. He became that hero of faith because he had a trust and faith in God. God, God, God called him out for that. Can I trust God in the same way? God can work with our fears and our doubts, you know, if we trust him. If we trust him and obey him, he'll give us what we need if we put our com complete faith and trust in him. You know, God, we see through the Bible how he works. He can work with doubt and unbelief, not, but not with unbelief, not with unbelief, not with apathy. But God can take our doubts and our fears. If we're fearful, if we're scared, if we're just a little afraid, God can take us to point A, to point to, from weakness to strength, shall we pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your love and your mercy. Thank you for being God. Lord, help us to have the kind of faith that Gideon had. Lord, a complete trust in you. Lord, help us to be faithful in the day and age that we're living in. Father, we know that the, the, our enemy is different today, but we have an enemy that is out to destroy us. And Lord, we, we, um, we claim the victory through faith. Lord, we, f we realize it's not in numbers, it's an in individual faith. Help us to be faithful. 
We pray this in Jesus' worthy name. Amen.